Yes, if you haven't gotten plugged in with a life group, you really need to do that. It has been um, such a huge deal for um, for my faith and just you know getting to share with people. It it really makes um, life uh, make more sense. You know, life truly is better together. So, um, have you ever heard a story um, from somebody and they're telling it, and you realize like this isn't your story? You ever been in that situation before? You know. They try to make it sound like this story happened to them, but you know it really didn't. Um, you know, it's just too unbelievable, or it's too ridiculous, or you've actually heard that story before from somebody else. Um, maybe this has happened to you like when you've been in the office, or in school, or maybe even around your dinner table. Uh, maybe when you're listening to a politician talk. Maybe uh, even during a sermon. Um, Eddie, this is not an uh, attack on you while you're not here. That is just sometimes what things happen, so I'm not calling Eddie out. That is not the case. Um, And I think I understand the temptation when someone tells a story uh, that doesn't belong to them. You know, on paper, it makes the story sound uh, more personal or more lifelike for you to be the main character in the story. But the irony here is that when you're listening to a story and you know that somebody, the person telling the story, it's not theirs, the irony is that it actually makes it less personal and less lifelike, and it makes it more fake and more inauthentic. And so this morning, I think we really do have to come clean. We've got to stop allowing people to tell stories that don't belong to them. And the story that we're talking about this morning is the story of a woman with a bleeding disorder that we find in Mark. And this is not my story. If I tried to place myself in the shoes of this woman, I think that you would know that maybe it's a little fake, that maybe it's a little inauthentic. And sure, maybe I could, you know, try my best to to place myself in her shoes and, and maybe that would be okay, but why would we as a church settle for just okay? God has given his spirit to men and women. And so why... Are we okay with silencing half of the voice of the Spirit in a public space? So this text in particular is one that demands the voice and the perspective of a woman. And for this text to become real for you, and I think for this woman to become fully human in your eyes, I think you've got to see it through the lens of a woman. And so my job this morning is pretty simple. I'm just trying to set the stage for Hannah, our summer intern. If you haven't met her yet, you really need to do that because she is such an awesome person. So my job is really to just kind of set the stage for her. Um, The Spirit has given her the spiritual gift of proclaiming the word of the Lord. And so today, we are going to share in that gift for God's glory. So for just a couple minutes, I'm going to read our text and talk a little bit about the context. But Hannah is going to preach the word of God. So our text this morning, Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 34. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So he went with him, and a large crowd followed him, 
and pressed in on him. Now, there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians, and she had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. And immediately, immediately, her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on, in on you. How can you say, who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. I love the Gospel of Mark. Out of the four Gospels, it is the most fast-paced. If you have a more functional equivalent translation or one that puts more emphasis on like translating the words as they appear, you'll notice that the word immediately happens a lot. Jesus immediately goes over here to preach and immediately goes over there to heal. And you'll also notice that almost every single verse begins with the word and, and Jesus did this, and the disciples didn't get it, and Jesus did that, and the disciples were still confused. It's almost like Mark has taken this like really, really big breath and he's trying to like say as much as he possibly can before he has to take another one. There's no birth narrative in Mark. There's no young Jesus in the temple. Jesus just comes onto the scene as a full-grown man and his ministry begins. Things in Mark happen super fast. And we also can't forget about the crowds. The crowds of people interested in Jesus in the Gospel of Mark are huge right from the beginning. As early as chapter 1, his fame has spread throughout Galilee. And after he heals Simon's mother-in-law, the entire city is gathered at the door searching for their own healing. The crowds in Mark are actually one of the most interesting characters in the whole gospel because they, unbeknownst to them, create the settings by which Jesus performs some of his most extraordinary miracles. In chapter 2, when the paralytic and his friends come to see Jesus, the crowds are too large for the paralytic to get through. So what do they do? Do they give up? No, they lower him through the roof and Jesus heals him. In chapter 3, Jesus orders his disciples to have a boat ready for him because the crowds of people that are seeking healing are so large that Jesus is afraid that he might get crushed. And again, in chapter 4, Jesus has to tell his parable of the sower in a boat so that the crowds don't crush him. And then they use that same boat to cross the sea, and Jesus calms the storm and heals a demoniac. It's just fascinating, isn't it? The crowds cause Jesus to get in a boat, and they set the stage for him to calm the storm and heal a severely demon-possessed man. And that brings us to the story that we find ourselves in this morning. Jesus crosses the sea again, and a great crowd gathers around him. You know where this is going, right? The crowds play a crucial role here. Out of the crowds comes Jairus, a Jewish synagogue leader, and he begs Jesus to heal his 12-year-old daughter. Where was Jesus going before Jairus comes out of the crowd? We don't know, 
but what we do know is that Jesus allows himself to be redirected. Jairus is not just some ordinary Yahweh follower. He is a synagogue leader. This is a big deal. He is an important man with lots of influence and lots of authority, and yet he humbles himself before Jesus, a man that he has only heard about. Jairus displays incredible faith here. He is scared for himself, for his family, and especially for his 12-year-old daughter who is on the verge of death. Can you place yourself in Jairus' shoes? Fathers with young children especially, wouldn't you do anything to save your child's life, no matter how scared you were? Maybe you've been in a situation like this before, or maybe you're in a situation like this right now. Maybe you're just in a situation that is totally beyond your control, and it's terrifying. When Jairus stepped out of the crowd and kneeled before Jesus, he had no guarantees that this would work. He had no idea what would happen. And in fact, things appear to be going really poorly because Jesus is about to get sidetracked again with the main story that we're going to look at this morning. And it is in this getting sidetracked that this little 12-year-old girl dies. If you're Jairus in the story, you're not just angry. You're furious at Jesus. The weight of grief and despair is coupled with a fury beyond all comparison. You know Jesus could have healed her, but he had to go and get distracted. But again, Jesus shocks everyone, and he does the unimaginable. He raises this little 12-year-old girl from the dead. Jairus' grief and rage turn into rejoicing. Jairus' faith makes this little girl well. And so perhaps this morning, God may be calling you to put your faith in him with no guarantees that things will go the way that you want them to. And I say this this morning knowing that there is a lot of grief that is in this room today as we mourn the loss of one of our sisters, Betty Camp. And to be honest, like I don't know why things happened the way that they did, but I do know that we can trust that God is the God of redemption, that he reverses the curse of death and that he turns the forces of evil on their head in his time, and that God is making all things new, and he turns all that is wrong into all that is good. And so as we mourn and grieve the loss of our dear sister, we also mourn with the assurance that she is with the Lord and that God will redeem all that is broken. And so as I call Hannah up here, um, I want us to back up here for just a second and notice something as we look at the context as a whole that's been formed by this story. Jesus has calmed the storm. Jesus has healed a demon-possessed man. Jesus has healed a woman with a bleeding disorder, and Jesus even raises a girl from the dead. Jesus has power over everything. Nature, demons, diseases, and death. There is nothing that the Lord does not have power over. Everything in creation, Jesus commands it all. And so as we prepare to hear the word of the Lord proclaimed today through the story of a woman with a bleeding disorder through Hannah, let's pray together. God, I pray for Hannah right now as she shares what you have placed on her heart today. And may she speak powerfully your words for us in this moment. May your spirit fill her and may she show us what it means to have 
a radical faith that trusts in you and you alone. God, we love you and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I do want to say thank you to Austin. Um, It has been a true joy and a privilege to serve with and um, learn from him this summer, but not just him, the rest of the staff has been truly an honor to serve with you guys. Um, You guys as a church congregation are truly blessed to have such a spirit group driven um, people leading your congregation. Um, Austin brought up a lot of really, really important things just now about the book of Mark, the context that we're in, and the story of Jairus and his pain that he was feeling. Um, But before we jump into the story of the woman with the bleeding disorder, I want to tell you guys a quick story about my life. Um, For those of you that don't know, I just finished my freshman year at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. Go Vols. Sorry, Elliott family. Um, But the second semester that I was there, um, I actually got pretty sick. And we didn't really know what was going on. It was pretty scary. Um, And I ended up in a pretty traumatic hospital visit, but not only that, was in four other doctor's offices, getting some ridiculous testing, um, getting asked lots of questions, uh, and I even got accused of lying straight to my face by more than one medical professional. Um, So as all of this was going on, we were all really confused, especially when one of the hospital doctors called an infectious disease doctor on me, and we were really scared. Um, and luckily I had my family to back me up this time. I had a good support system. We had insurance to cover the cost of the medical bills. Um, but it was, it was frightening. Um, so I was poked and I was prodded and I was accused. And for those of you that are medical or for those of you that have had someone in college or just someone have this disease, I had an inflamed throat, um, very swollen. I had an extremely high fever Um, this area of my abdomen was hurting, and uh, I was extremely, extremely fatigued. Not to mention, I was living in a college dorm that had been up longer than my mom had been alive. Um, So for those of you who are adding it up, like I know Erica's medical, you might be thinking, okay, like strep throat, flu, or maybe like mono, maybe? Um, So it took six doctors for me and my mom to beg for a mono test. Um, and she was sure as day that it was going to come back negative. She was like, there's no way this is mono. Um, and it's all because I had one rare symptom that was only seen in t- 10 to 13-year-old females. And so this one rare system was throwing every single doctor that we went to off their scent. Well, surely, as the God lives, the test came back 100% positive. I had mono. It was just mono. Five doctor's offices, six doctors, an infectious disease doctor was called on me. And all I had was mono. So I can't imagine looking at the story of the woman with the bleeding disorder and putting myself in that woman's shoes in biblical times where there probably was no female doctors. There was no insurance. This story, if we look at the text, it doesn't say anything about a husband or a family to support her. I can't imagine what it must have been like for her. So as we go back and relook through this story and dig in a little bit deeper into this woman's life and her story with Jesus, I want you guys to try and place yourself in this context. Let your emotions align with her emotions and just see if maybe you can allow yourself to maybe feel even a little bit what this, this woman was feeling 
as a woman in biblical times with a blood discharge that has no answer. So if you guys will turn with me to verse 25, we're going to pick up there and read a little bit and then talk about it. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages, and some versions say a discharge of blood, for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. 12 years of suffering. 12 years of no answers. 12 years of spending all that you have and not really having a job to work it back. 12 years of being confused, isolated, and called unclean. I cannot imagine. This woman had been suffering with this particular disease for as long as Jairus' daughter had been alive. And I don't think that that's really a coincidence. And as we look more into the story, we'll see these parallels unfold. But for right now, I want to talk to you guys about what some scholars speculate this woman was suffering through. Um, There's a disease called von Willebrand's disease. And I see Erica nodding her head. That's a good sign. (laughs) I had to look it up because I didn't know what it was when I was reading about it. But it is an inherited lifelong blood disorder um, where your blood is having like a hard time clotting. Um, And so it manifests itself in a few different ways. One of them is after surgery or dental work, they can't really stop the bleeding. They have a harder time. Or there's one kid that said he had a 10-minute long nosebleed. Um, But probably the most common symptom in females is a long and extremely heavy menstrual cycle. So most scholars speculate that this is what that woman was experiencing. Um, And tragically for this woman in that time, there's an entire chapter in Leviticus specifically dedicated to uncleanliness due to irregular body disorders and irregular body discharge. And so Chapter 15 of Leviticus has like a large, large chunk for all my ladies out there about when you're on your menstrual cycle. And that's just not if it's irregular. That's like normal. You were made unclean if you were on your menstrual cycle. For 12 weeks out of the year, females are made unclean for something that they were given by God. Seems hard to me. But it's law. So for them, that's something that's normal. So this woman falls under the category of irregular menstrual impurities, which means that she has been perpetually deemed by her society unclean for 12 years. The length of Jairus' daughter's life, she has been told that she is unclean and cast out of society. That must have been so hard for her. Anyways, as we continue to look at this story, And if you're sitting there right now, I'm sorry, moms, but if you're sitting there right now asking, like, oh, I don't know what a menstrual cycle is, um, ask your mom after church. I'm not going to stand up here and explain it to you from behind the pulpit. So anyways, um, as we see in the scripture, she likely had no husband because, like, in Leviticus 15, it says, any woman who is unclean that lays with a man makes that man unclean. And like we said, this woman has been perpetually unclean for 12 years. She's running out. She's running out of money. She's running out of hope. And she is running out of a chance for healing. And then she hears this story about this man named Jesus who heals the man with the demon and calms all of the seas. So she's thinking, hmm, 
maybe this is it. Maybe this is my last chance. Maybe this man, Jesus, is my only hope. So if we turn to verse 27, we're going to see her give her final reach for healing. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately, her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on all sides. How can you say, Who touched me? But still he looked around, all to see who had done it. As we know, this woman knew probably that she was unclean. She'd probably had people politely remind her every other couple of months that she was unclean. Um, Had probably had people politely, of course, they're going to be polite, remind her that she is cast out from society and isolated. Um, But this woman heard more than that, the story of Jesus. She heard about his miraculous healing power and the way that he grabs hold of nature and bends it with his will. So she reaches out. And one last moment of hope, and one last act of desperation, this woman reaches out and said, this man is my only answer. This section of the story shows this like miraculous and beautiful divine nature of Jesus. And even though that they don't have the same perspective that we do, like we have the whole Bible, and that's so cool that we get to read the end of the chapter. Like we get to know the final story, but these people didn't. They didn't know that Jesus was going to die and then raise back from the dead. But she has faith anyways. And so we see this like miraculous story. And as Austin touched on earlier, this idea of the word immediately in Mark is very important. And we see it twice. We see it once when immediately her hemorrhage stopped. Immediately. She touched Jesus's clothes and immediately she was healed. That is divine, and there is nothing, there's not another word to describe that. But we see him, Jesus, take this divine nature that he has and bring it head-to-head with humanity like he does all throughout the Gospels. So not just do we see that she's immediately healed of her disease, we see Jesus immediately knowing that power had left him. And he could have just kept going. Like Austin mentioned, he was going to heal Jairus' daughter, and she was at risk of death. Like this 12-year-old girl was about to die, and Jairus was probably like dragging him through the crowd, being like, Jesus, come on, like my daughter is dying. And Jesus takes a minute, stops, looks around, and says, I have to find the person that I just healed. Because he takes these, he has a pattern of taking these divine experiences bringing them head-to-head with our weakness and our humanity and making that so beautiful. And so if we turn to verse 33, we can pick up and keep reading and see how this woman responds to this attention. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. He calls her daughter. This woman that society has pointed at and said, you're unclean. 
you're not worthy of a family. You are not worthy of our community. And I mean, it was their law. That was the law that was transcribed in Leviticus. So they didn't know anything different. But this woman for 12 years has been isolated because of this sickness. And so Jesus, when she has this attention from Jesus, she is trembling in fear. Absolutely terrified. Because it's most likely that this woman has been scolded before. It's most likely that she has been utterly reminded of her uncleanliness. So when she is bowing before Jesus, and she knows what she's done, and she's sitting there at his feet, she is, it's visible, her fear. Her fear is visible because she knows. But what she doesn't know is who she's bowing before. And so the beauty of this story is revealed when Jesus looks down on her and gives her a new identity. Jesus looks at her and calls her daughter, something she probably hasn't heard in years. Nobody has invited her to be a part of their community. Nobody has invited her to be a part of their lunch dinners after, or lunch dinners, their meals after church, which would be lunch. Nobody has invited her into that until now. And so Jesus takes this extremely divine experience and transforms it into this moment of fear in this moment of pain, but takes that and makes it beautiful. Jesus has an incredible pattern of using divine experiences to reestablish our humanity and our identity. And even though he is divine, he turns around, seeks us out, and says, you're mine. Every single time. He doesn't just choose to physically heal her. He gives her an identity that says her faith has made her well. This spiritual healing, in addition to her physical healing, is what allows her to go in peace. Now she has this assurance, and she has this courage that she hasn't had before, probably. Because Jesus called her daughter. It's crazy how much inclusion and looking at people and remembering who they really are, more than their disease and more than their suffering, will change their lives. Jesus constantly uses his divine power to work through our uncleanliness. He uses his divine moments to work through our fear and our lack of understanding. But there's one key that we need, and it's faith. And that's what he tells this woman. Your faith has made you well. So we are called to step out of these places of fear and lean into the mystery of this divine healing nature of Jesus Christ. This woman touched him even though she knew she was unclean. And she figured she would probably be punished. But she thought, if I can just touch this man, my whole life is going to change. The whole direction of my existence will change Finally, if I can just get close enough to touch this man's clothes. When I was little and I used to get lost, I would grab onto my mom and dad's jackets as we were like weaving through a crowd. And I remember one time like getting separated and like reaching out desperately in this really big crowd of people desperately for my dad's jacket. And I can just imagine this woman in her childlike faith of being like, this is my only hope, reaching out for Jesus's jacket reaching out and saying, if I can just touch his clothes. 
Even in the story of Jairus' daughter, we see Jairus step out of these priestly social norms, this box that he's been fitted in because of his title, and, and say, like, you are my only hope. My daughter is on her deathbed, Jesus. You are my only hope. And he steps out of his fear of being judged for his social norms, and he steps into faith, and his daughter is raised from the dead. How frequently are we so scared to step out of our fear? Where man has constantly failed, Jairus and this woman, Jesus heals and saves. Not just physically, but spiritually. When we take this amazing chance to step out of fear and into faith in Christ Jesus, that is when we give him the chance to work in us. And a few wise people have once told me that you are only filled as much as you open up. And so if you have like a little communion glass and then you have like a like large fish tank and you say, here, Jesus, fill up my communion glass. And it's only like a fraction of you. However much you open is how much he's going to fill. But these two people took their large shark tanks and said, Jesus, try this and waited expectantly, and they were healed. And that is just such a beautiful thing, but sadly, and I'm so guilty of this, y'all, we live in fear of not being worthy of Jesus' healing. But not only that, we live in fear that it's never going to be enough, that that illness is never going to go away, that that cancer is never going to go away, that that sin or that temptation is never going to go away. But guys... If we put every single ounce of hope that we have in Jesus, he will make us well. The hard thing about this, the really hard thing about stepping out of fear and into faith is that we have to trust that the healing of our faith, our spiritual healing is so much greater than the healing of our physical bodies. And right now there's a tone of mourning as I look out in this crowd and see purple about the healing of someone's physical body. And that is so hard. And as Austin mentioned earlier, our healing may not manifest itself in the way that we want or the way that we expect. And right now we're suffering through this loss and we don't always understand why people like our beloved Betty have to leave. But we can rest assured in the fact that they are finally and fully healed by their faith in Christ Jesus. And that is the promise that we are assured. We are not promised any physical healing. We are not promised that we're all going to be okay. But we're promised eternity. And that is incredible. Your faith has made you well. Our promise is eternity. Me and Vanessa Leonard were taking the kids to the zoo while Austin was gone. And we were talking about that Francis Chan sermon where he takes the rope and colors like a little inch of it red and then like throws it. And is like, this is your life. That's eternity. That is what we're promised. We are promised that, not this. Yes, Jairus' daughter and the woman with the bleeding disorder were blessed enough to be in the presence of Jesus and be healed by him, but not without their whole hope resting in their faith in Christ Jesus. Daughter and son, your faith has made you well. 
That is the message that Jesus preaches time and time again in the gospel by saying things like, your faith has healed you, or those who believe in me. I think N.T. Wright says it best in a book unpacking the gospel of Mark. It's called Mark for Everyone. Austin, let me borrow it. Um, And so as I read this two times through, I want you guys to really meditate on the healing power of Christ Jesus. The answer must be that faith, though itself powerless, is the channel through which Jesus' power can work. The answer must be that faith, though itself powerless, is the channel through which Jesus' power can work. So I want to call you guys today to step out of your fear and into your faith. Because truly, that is, that is the channel through which Jesus' power can work. That is the conduit to which Jesus can heal and save. So truly, I tell you, daughters and sons of Christ... Your faith will make you well. You guys pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this church um, and this congregation, this staff, these people, and how their hearts are dedicated to you. I ask that anything that I said that was of me fall to the floor and never be heard again. But Lord, anything that is of you and is of your name, let it rest well in the people's hearts. Thank you for your movement in this church and for the chance to love you so boldly. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.